Okay. This is Geek Cab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back, Geek Cab, for Saturday, May 21st, 2022. Dornall, welcome back, everybody. Dornall, hey. week. My week, fan. Fantastic. In the real world, we've got our perfect, beautiful spring weather, spending more time working out in the yard. Uh, in gaming or geeky life, uh, I'm glad to uh, have the Shadowrun character creation experiment behind me, as we discussed last week, as a terrible experiment, a uh, terrible system. Um, still playing lots of board games and, hmm, let's see, it's, it may be too soon, but I'm thinking about Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. And we've been playing on Sundays a action-packed combat frame exceed role-playing game uh, hosted by our guest today. So I'd like to say nothing new, but it's all been good. It's all been fun. Okay. Um, let's see. My week, I honestly can't remember most of it. Oh, and it's not because I drink, because I don't drink. And I find that deeply unfair. I mean, if I was drinking myself to blackout drunk status every night, then I could accept losing track of time and not remembering things. I, I would just be fair. But, man, all I'm losing is sleep, and that's making me not remember stuff. Uh, I did not have an adventure in Game Mastering this week because uh, – Total player autonomy means players can take off and do whatever they want. All the players from the uh, island last week have gone. Uh, uh, all their characters are in training. So we had a bunch of different characters, and they wanted to do different stuff. So uh, I got to play this week, um, which is one of the benefits of being in a Gygaxian campaign is that you don't have to – you're not the only DM. You don't have to – DM all the time. Sometimes you just get to play. So I am. Uh, Jeff posted about the game. I don't, I don't have to talk about it. Uh, the other things I did this week were some kind of fun and some kind of painful. Uh, I went and saw Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And I also went and saw. Um, I went and saw, or I watched the last episode of Halo, but, uh, before we do that, I ran across this, and this is speaking of being drunk, I ran across this list and I just want to, I got a theme from this list. And I want to see if you sense the same pattern that I sensed. This is a list of the 20th drunken cities in America. 
I'm not going to read all of them, but I'm going to read through number 10. Mm -hmm. I want you to tell me if you sense the same pattern I did. I love pattern recognition. Let's do this. Number one, Appleton, Wisconsin. Number two, Oshkosh, Nina, Wisconsin. Number three, Green Bay, Wisconsin. Number four, Madison, Wisconsin. Number five, Fargo, North Dakota. Number six, La Crosse on Alaska, Wisconsin. Number seven, Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Number eight, Ames, Iowa. Number nine, Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Number 10, Mankato, North Mankato, Minnesota. And number 11, Wasso, Wisconsin. Detecting a pattern, definitely. My word. What is in the cheese up there? Um, I just think that, you know, they talk about Midwestern nice. I just think that it's nice that some places in Wisconsin fake being sober long enough to let other states chart once in a while. That's just polite. So, yeah, Wisconsin. They they told me a couple of months ago on Twitter that Wisconsin was the drunkest state in America now. Uh, that explains um, Red Letter Media. <laughs> which is yeah. funny because i uh i'm a, I've, i'm a long time uh, or i was when i still watched uh sports on tv uh, i was a huge green bay packers fan um and uh, from all the fans i've met in football they've got some of the best fans they never struck me as drunkards not like uh not like the seahawks fans anyway Seahawks fans get really, really drunk. Uh, they get pissed uh, before the gates open at at the stadium. Okay. But they're great, man. It's it's like chill Pacific Northwest. Like yeah, yeah. One or two, one or two drunken fights maybe throughout the whole game, but um, you know, you can go in there with full Green Bay Packers regalia and uh, you know. Get no more hassled than you know, gentle ribbing and trading, you know, jibes back and forth. Really cool people, completely messed up, <laughs> even before the game. I had somebody on Twitter last night comment that he flew on a flight directly from New Orleans to Wisconsin, and his first thought when getting off the plane in Wisconsin was. Man, this city has a lot of bars. <laughs> so anyways, um, I want to do a quick pocket review of Halo. Um, yeah, and, you, I mean, you were so disappointed with the first episode. I can't believe you finished. I want to hear this. Yeah, I watched all nine episodes. Do you remember when I was reviewing Discovery a few weeks ago or a month ago? 
I said about Discovery that they didn't screw everything up. That is, it, not everything about the show was bad, I think is what I said. Um, that's not true for Halo. Ooh. Everything about the show was bad, except maybe the special effects. The special effects were mostly decent. And I'm not going to go into a laundry list of, of bad things, but everything else you can think of was bad. Um, this was not a Halo TV series. This was some other random cyberpunk script that wasn't very good, that someone had lying around in a drawer, that they just put the names of Halo characters on and produced. It was not about Master Chief or Cortana or anybody else. Um, and it was awful, 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 terrible, awful. Uh, I mean, if you're going to roll the dice, if, if you're a betting man, that's, that's what you bet on, right? How yeah. many IP tie-ins aren't awful? It was absolutely a skin suit series. Um, and, and by skin suit, it refers to Iowa Hawks. Um, comment that, you know, you take something, kill it, skin it, dance around wearing its skin, demanding to be respected. Uh, apparently, that's what the Wheel of Time series was. Um and that's what this particular Halo series was. There is, uh, in the show, there's a covenant human spy who's a woman. And she comes to reach to get a hold of this artifact. And Master Chief ends up falling in love with her. And they end up having sex, and Cortana stands there and watches them, which is all right. I don't, <laughs> what the? You're right. I don't need to know any more about this show. <laughs> Thematically, and. In terms of the character of Master Chief, it is absolutely, absolutely out of character. If they had made this show about someone else in the Halo universe, maybe a different Spartan or, a, you know, a Marine or something or a orbital drop shock trooper who did that, you could maybe see that working. Because they're not the chief, or they're not a Spartan. But being about Master Chief, no. That is not who Master Chief is. It's just a terrible show, and it's not a Halo show, and they got just about everything wrong. So it's not worth seeing even once. I cannot give it even the faintest recommendation. It wasn't interesting on its own merits. If it had been made into its own series, it would have still been terrible. Um, 
All right. All right. So, yeah. Irredeemable trash. Yes. No, uh, yeah. but what what I'm I'm way more interested in your movie viewing this week. Doctor because... Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Now I happen to get lucky in that while technically you don't have to have watched two previous Marvel TV series on Disney to understand the movie, boy, does it help. It really, really helps. Um, this is not technically a spoiler, but uh, in the Marvel What If series, there is a What If where Agent Carter gets the um, super soldier injection and becomes Captain Britain. Uh, so she becomes the you know big buff person instead of Captain America. Um, and then in the trailer for this movie, you see the Captain Britain shield end up embedded in a wall. So it's not a spoiler because it was spoiled in the trailer. But yes, having watched the What If cartoon prepared me for a lot of the things that happened in this movie, including Captain Britain. And it also prepares you for the multiverse and some of the things that happen with Doctor Strange. You don't need to have seen it to understand the movie, but boy, does it help. Um, and even though the Loki TV series had a bunch to do with the time travel and, and alternate universes, you don't need to have seen that. It absolutely doesn't help. In fact, it will just confuse things more than anything else. It, uh... And the other one was WandaVision, which... Uh, helps explain uh, the Scarlet Witch's motivations in this and why she's so different than she was the last time you may have seen her in a Marvel Universe movie. Um, so not necessary to have to see this movie, but if you saw WandaVision, boy, does it help. I don't know if this is a strength of the MCU or if it's a weakness of the MCU. That everything builds on everything prior and it rewards people who've been watching it with, you know, with knowing what's going on even more. It may have been a detriment in this case because I feel like there are large gaps that would have been filled in if you had watched What If and WandaVision, but... I don't know. There are also large gaps left. If you watched One Division, you're like, "But what about this? But what about that?" From One Division, it seems like they just forgot a bunch of One Division to try and make the show, to try and make the movie happen. You're like, "But didn't this happen? Didn't that happen? Wasn't she going to do this other thing?" So it's kind of crazy that way. The movie wasn't a bad movie. It was enjoyable. It was made by Sam Raimi. Um, and so, yeah, it's a Sam Raimi movie. If you go into it thinking it's a Sam Raimi movie, there are parts of it that uh, could have been lifted straight out of Army of the Dead. 
uh, and they were so much fun, so much fun to watch. Um, and then again, there are parts that are, while not bad in and of themselves, are kind of eye-rolling in current year. Um, Sounds and, like a good gimmick. I, I mean, I did enjoy the movie a lot, but uh, there were there were parts that were kind of eye-rolling and a little bit upstagey. Doctor Strange kind of got upstaged in his own movie, and I didn't like that. Uh, it happens too often in current year, and it kind of makes me angry. Because I'm getting, you know, you see it all the time now, uh, where a certain class of hero, and I think you know what I mean, um, gets upstaged in their own movies, whereas other classes of heroes, and I'm not just talking about superheroes, don't get upstaged in their own movie. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, kind of obnoxious, kind of annoying. So it was a good movie. It was a fun movie. Um, and uh, I I don't know I I I gotta challenge you here for a sec DW because yeah. I hear you and and we've we've talked about movies and we've seen movies that were like yeah these are the problems but you know I enjoyed it because of X or Y and Z but what you just described doesn't sound like a good movie at all full stop so. Was there anything actually entertaining or valuable in it? There was so much that was entertaining. It's a good superhero movie. Um, they have the movie starts out with a climactic battle. That's the first fight in the movie, is this big climactic battle. And I'm like, wow, this feels like the end of the movie. And then it just amps up from there. It's got periods of absolutely mind-boggling cosmic wonder in it, which is great for a movie called The Multiverse of Madness. Um, they have guest cameos from uh, actors that you absolutely don't expect who I hope will be back in later movies. Um, Baron Mordo returns in a really unexpected way. Um, all the act scenes are done just incredibly well. They tie in with things we've seen before. Um, I despise the modern need to put a character arc on every character because most of them don't need it, especially in superhero movies, and they're misapplied. James Bond doesn't need a character arc, and for the longest time, he didn't have any, and that was great. He started as James Bond, he lived as James Bond, and by the end of the movie, he was still James Bond. That's what ruined 
the second uh, Iron Man movie is they had to give him a character arc, so they had him regress to the uh, loser he was at the beginning of the first movie. And that's what ruined every bit of his progression in the first movie, is he went back to being drunk, irresponsible Tony Stark. Um, so Dr. Strange didn't need a character arc, but they gave him an anyway, but it actually worked. It was well done. Um, and the lessons he learns and, and what he goes through and stuff were organic to the character and made a lot of sense because he's going through the multiverse of madness. So again, I hope I'm not spoiling anything when I say that he meets uh, alternate versions of himself. You have to expect that a movie called The Multiverse of Madness, that he's going to go through the multiverse and travel to alternate realities, alternate timelines, and meet alternate versions of himself. And seeing himself in alternate worlds, you know, he he learns lessons. This is uh, partially the old plot of A Man Learns a Lesson, uh, as pointed out by... I believe Robert Heinlein. Um, but yeah, so whether you're in it for really awesome superhero battles, this time mainly focusing around magic, um, there's a lot of those and they're so good. The super battles in this movie are just awesome. I loved them. I would watch the movie again just to see those battles. Um, there's one on Comertage. There's one in a New York street. Um, there's one in an ancient ruin. Um, I just, they were so well done. They were so interesting. And they were, you know, the movie is fast-paced and uh, and it's entertaining as heck to watch. The things I had problems with, I am solely noting because I think that people who listen to the show are likely going to have problems with and I think they would be angry if I didn't mention them. They would feel like I had gypped them, like I had concealed something they'd want to know uh, if I didn't tell them. Well, I think that's fair. Uh, it's it's fair to hear what actually you liked about it. And, it, you know, for, for my part, I do like it when... Uh, a movie is successful at some of the things it sets out to do, especially with a Marvel type movie where you do want your fancy set piece battles and cool powers and everything like that. Chat's lively, but chat's lively in an opposite direction. Uh, they don't want nothing to do with Cape stuff. <laughs> uh, my work is done. <laughs> I still like superhero movies. I still like good superhero movies. Um, I haven't I'm, seen Moon Knight. I haven't seen Hawkeye. I haven't seen The Eternals. I haven't seen Chang Shi. I haven't seen Black Widow because those all look like garbage. But 
this looked like a good movie from the trailers. And so I went and saw it and I was right. It's a good movie. Um, uh, last, last word though. Uh, it was a good movie. I, I didn't know Sam Raimi directed it until a couple of days ago. Uh, uh, and you mentioned that there's a couple of Sam Raimi scenes. Is it, uh, was it just a couple of scenes? Was it a gimmick or is it an actual uh, Sam Raimi film? It is a Sam Raimi film while also being an MCU film. So, cool. you know, it isn't full on Evil Dead 2. Um, on the other hand, it is kind of a horror movie. <laughs> People who say it's it's a horror movie are right. It's a superhero horror movie. There are a lot of. Uh, it's not so bad you can't take a kid to it, but yeah, it's it's pretty horrifying in parts. So yeah. uh, as 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 to be expected, uh, combining uh, the multiverse with uh, the events of Wandavision. Um, I mean, it, it deals with. Uh, it deals with the Darkhold, which is the book of evil magic in the Marvel universe. Um, and it deals with uh, uh, evil magic and having to, uh, the consequences of that and having to stop on, stomp on that. There are, you know, demonic beings that have to be fought. There are uh, legitimate Cthulhu-esque monsters and I don't mean like Cthulhu himself but uh, you know primordial evil things uh, from the creation of the universe there are um, undead that show up uh, spirits of the damned um, uh, people get uh, taken over there are some uh, there are some implied deaths and blood. Um, I mean, you—it's a—it's a superhero movie, so you don't see people getting killed bloodily, gorily on scene. But you definitely get an implied death and and blood showing that you know that's happening. So yeah, it's it's kind of scary in parts. It's a horror movie. Uh, cool. And it's the same Raimi horror movie, so, you know, th those scenes are not without dark humor, but it is a grim humor to them. See, now you dragged all that out of me. I was trying to cut that short so we could get on to the... <laughs> I, I take all the blame on myself. I should have known I wasn't going to get a short answer out of Daddy Warpig. <laughs> <clears throat> he's just tired of uh, hearing me talk because he's been meeting <laughs> every Sunday. Was our finally, finally, I get, I get the limelight. I get the yeah, I get the mic. So no, it's your hey. show. Hey, speaking of having the mic, uh, it's awesome to have you back. It's so good to have you back, our former co-host Brian Niemeyer. Welcome back. It's fantastic to be here. Thank you both. I missed you, and I missed you, Chad. How are you doing? <laughs> it's fantastic to be here. Thank you both. Um, so we're here to talk about your latest, greatest combat frame X seed uh, novel. Um, before we get to the Indiegogo campaign, um, 
do you want to do a brief introduction for anybody listening who might not be familiar with your work? Sure. Yeah, I kicked it off in 2018. And the idea came from making two observations. Well, really, one observation about two related but separate genres, and that's Eastern and Western mech fiction. Um, Eastern mainly in the form of anime, right? And in the West, in games and some other media, but like uh, Battletech, for example. And I noticed that they, they both evolved to these dead ends in an aesthetic and narrative sense, right? So if you look at anime, like at least in the period when I was first um, planning the series, which goes back to 2003, by the way, everything was either like you had your NGE clones and then you just had your Gundams. And that was pretty much it. Like there was nothing like Gunbuster Votoms or anything like that anymore. The market had just become monopolized by these two big brands. And then in the West, um, as one of my readers described it, it just descended into like the gray goo space marine meat grinder and then started getting woke. So I decided to do the Jurassic Park thing and say, well, let's take some of this DNA out of this and put it in here and see if we can evolve past this dead end. So that was Combat Frame XC. It was taking the the best, like still healthy elements of Eastern and Western Mecca, smashing them together and coming up with something new. Um, and people really seem to like it, judging by the fact that um, I've, I've raised uh, tens of thousands of dollars on the project uh, from Indiegogo alone. Like people really seem to believe in it and be hungry for it. And so they're voting with their wallets. Outstanding. Um, I've I've become a big fan myself. Uh, full disclosure, I I backed uh, some of your previous books. Uh, really big fan. Um, You've made some excellent Buildamex, by the way, folks. Oh, we 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 are going to get to that. Oh my Good. goodness! <clears throat> All right, so I'm going to put up the the picture here because for those of you who know this is going to be a really exciting uh if you haven't actually seen the campaign yet uh this really exciting image here at the top and i'm sharing this for anybody who's watching on youtube i'm oh, sharing the comment frame z strike xc picture yeah here's the z strike xc uh indiegogo and look at that beautiful this is the the front cover look at that beautiful cover and if I if I remember correctly, the uh, caption on this one is Grensmark Four, and that gets yeah. me all all sorts of of tingly inside as someone who's read the whole series. Um, so, what's going on in your latest uh, Giant Mecha series? Well, this one is going to begin with the main characters from the previous book in military prison because um, the, the general setup is like cultural pariahs recruited against their will to help save humanity 
Like that's what happened previously. Um, who then failed. So they take the blame. And so the very beginning, we've got to start with a jailbreak, which then leads into a heist. Um, a la Star Trek three kind of inspired by that. If you guys take my meaning, which then segues into a campaign to rally disaffected space colonies against the main human government, like the one world government, which has been completely manipulated and subverted into a plaything for a ruthless madman. Plus, giant robot fights and explosions, as always. <laughs> um, uh, that's sort of one of the that's one of your calling cards in this series, isn't it? The 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 giant mech battles are, you know, important. Like they're your big set pieces, but there's a lot going on uh, amongst all the characters. There are many different factions in play in this world. Yeah, and we're bringing back some of the factions from the first series that people really love. I mean, really, they never went away. They just went behind the scenes, as factions do when they get to a certain level of power. So it turned out at the end of the last book that uh, a certain faction, a certain player that people thought uh, had been removed from the board was actually the chess master the whole time behind everything. And the Guardian Angels are going to be confronted with that fact and have to deal with it. Yeah, and you've uh, you've mentioned and or hinted at that character uh, several times in, in the last book and I think one or two of your short stories as well. So the... Yeah. the the readers are are well aware of of, of the uh, players that are that are coming in. Uh, how does it play with uh, people who haven't read the books? Like, it is there a place to start if you've never read any of this stuff? Yeah, so there are two separate series. Again, I kind of did the Gundam thing, right? Where you could reasonably come in on Zeta without having watched uh, original. Mobile Suit Gundam, for example, or you could really watch Stardust Memory without having watched Zeta. So while the S series, so that would be Combat Frame Exceed S, Combat Frame Exceed Double S, and Combat Frame Z Strike Exceed, are their own standalone series. They are also a sequel to the original three Combat Frame Exceed books. So if you're looking for a jumping on point here, you just want to get started without having to go back and reread the original series. I wrote S as a point of departure, as a, a jumping on point. And that's why, by the way, everyone who backs at any level gets all three S series ebooks. You get S double S and Z strike. So you don't need to collect anything else. You, you don't have to go searching around Amazon to get up to speed and get at the ground running. Uh, I also am offering all of the ebooks and if you like Dead Tree, all of paperbacks. So you can read the whole saga and see how it unfolds and be like, oh, I see what that seed planted, pardon the pun, in the very first book. Like, I see how that grows hideous, murderous fruit in the last book. Cool. Hopefully you say cool. <laughs> Hopefully you say cool. 
I think people in chat are saying cool, so that's a good sign. They're saying chat. I, I'm I because uh, you've got some astute and uh, and meticulous readers. I am not one of them. Uh, we we have regular conversations about like what going on, what's going on in the background, or or uh, you know what's been happening from book to book. And I find that I don't retain most of it. But uh, <laughs> that's what makes every book, uh, every new book, a surprise. But yeah, you know, con confirmed. There's lots of stuff sort of going on in the background that uh, that comes back. Um, so the main the main players this time, and and you're obviously avoiding naming names. So you've got the uh, the guardian angels are the characters from the previous book, and uh, they're they're the scapegoats for the downfall of Earth. And so we've got Earth's military versus the alien invasion versus the guardian angels versus mystery chess master versus uh, who else are we looking for? And what what is Z strike? What does that mean? Wow. Okay, you know that's hard to get into without major spoilers. <laughs> but uh, okay, who who here has seen the platypus girl who occasionally pops up, like the twisted looking Disney princess looking? Yeah. Gal, uh, looks like a caffeine addict. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that's Heather, known more widely by her professional handle of Z Strike. Okay. Now, she started out as a crusading investigative journalist who got too close to the main player behind the scenes really didn't appreciate that and she also is the same um i don't know you could say race or possibly strain of the social prias as the, the guardian angel she's, she's like the same kind of thing that they are uh so it's really easy to put her beyond the eight ball um so her life was almost completely destroyed i mean it it, it just was like to show how serious this dude is um, to make an example of her. He destroyed her whole colony world. A like, whole planet. It, yeah. Had it butchered by merciless alien crystal bug army. Um, so the uh, lackey water carrier of the big bad who did that directly is coalition Marshal Edward Zbig, And Schoen's belonged to his black bag unit. The unit patch was like his monograms. It's just a, a Z in a circle. Um, so she just struck it through because she really hates this guy. And uh, so that's where she got her handle because uh, she kind of bases her ident new identity around hating him. So she showed up in the previous book to play the Obi-Wan to the Guardian Angels. It's like, look, you, you guys don't know how to use your powers. I'm going to show you how to do it so you have a chance at survival this time. Except they weren't really having it and told her to get lost in no uncertain terms. So she's like, okay, fine. We'll see how you do on your own. Well, we've not seen how they did on their own. So one faction that you left out is Pax, who Z-Strike works for now. And 
they'd already made overtures to the guardian angels so it's not too big a spoiler to say that um the GAs are going to need help and PAX is like the only organization out there that has the resources to do that. So let's just say the title of the book hints at an alliance. Mm -hmm. And PAX is something that is not, or to my memory, hasn't been uh, completely explained or explicitly explained because it's, it's it's a you said that it's got great resources, but it's another one of those uh, behind the curtain players. Can you tell us more about that? I'm trying to get a mental model of of all the and so you've got this. I mean, this is just we're just talking about the local, you know, the the stars local to our solar system, and and there's so many different factions playing against each other. So back to my question, like. What is PAX? Well, I can tell you about one key member of PAX, uh, who is 007, the emotional support platypus, um, without whom Heather just couldn't function at all. Uh-huh. He consumes $10,000 worth of mealworms per annum. <laughs> so that's what he's pulling down. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I don't think that good. That's a good job. He's also venomous. Like one of the few venomous mammals, <laughs> uh, which actually did come in because. All right, here's here's how much I've been over backwards for my backers. One backer of Exceed S said, "Okay, I'm in." Oh, it was it was a uh, Paul Parkivist who may or may not be here. He said, "I'm I'm in," but one character has to be taken down by platypus venom. <laughs> I said, okay. It happened. It did happen. So that's one thing I have to look forward to in, uh, in XC to S. But no, uh, yeah. So in the preview of Z-Strike XC at the, at the end of double S, we do see that um, the, the big bad isn't the only shadow manipulator who's been pulling the strings on the rest of the world. Um, and that is where the first series comes in because two characters from the first series ended up parlaying various military and economic and industrial resources that they gained through their careers into massive power bases. And one used it to turn like the, the common human like star spanning government into his personal sock puppet for his own selfish vendetta, which he masks as uh, altruism. Like, Oh, I'm, I'm trying to preserve mankind from this alien threat. But if you objectively look at his decisions, he may not be playing with a full deck. He may not be uh, honest with himself. Yeah. I I said as much. I said as much from the <laughs> from the introduction of that character. I was like, "Do do all the people you know reading this book know they they know he's a psycho, right?" Oh, totally. Um, in in both senses, like uh, you could argue he's both psychopathic and psychotic. So that's a heady mix. Um, but also brilliant, ruthless, well connected, and 
with more money than Cressis. So, yeah, he is now stepping in as of Z-Strike to just run things more directly. Um, so he's been playing this game, he calls it, um, looking for capable individuals to succeed, not necessarily him, but succeed someone important to him whom he believes is vital. And that's where his reasoning really falls apart because it's more, this person is vital to him, but again, because he's a psychopath, he sees no difference between what's vital to him and everyone else. So he's kind of gone off the rails. Well, this other character from about the same era as him just immediately went underground. He saw the way things were going, which with the wind was blowing. I thought, okay, well, I'm going to take my resources and my network and just go underground. So he's actually been working through a particular religious order of monks who are historians par excellence, even to the point of um, digitizing people's memories and like creating holodeck representations of them that they can consult as primary sources on historical matters, right? So for people who have been ordering about the saculum, I'm talking about the, the guy who's like their patron and backer, right? So he founded PAX. That's, that's where PAX comes from, is this rival who's this uh, humanitarian. Like he's the one who's actually pro-humanity because... Uh, as the name suggests, their mandate is no more war ever. It's just too devastating. Like, it's mutually assured destruction. The only way to win is not to play. So we need a different solution. Are you with me so far? I think, yeah. What what, what the picture that's really coming to my mind is that these, these two factions are sort of coming out into the open. And... It, and that's part of the conflict now that uh, sort of Earth has fallen and, you know, the struggle for survival is desperate that these two factions are finally putting their pieces into play. And, and it's not just us trying to survive the aliens. It's it's everybody sort of trying to come out ahead. Yeah, the, the Cold War is going hot. So I, I love to add wrinkles to linear conflicts. So the previous two books focused on the genocidal war the Inzu were waging on mankind for reasons no one clearly understood. But now even though that's still definitely going on and the zoos have won <clears throat> a major battle, uh, instead of pulling together, now humanity is going to fall to infighting in the middle of this. That's unusual. I mean, it's it, it's not entirely expected. You you figure when the aliens showed up, people would just rally. Right, and they would have if not for this megalomaniac behind the scenes, who just wants uh, he wants his whoopee. That's what he wants, really. Hmm. Never got over that. Poor guy. So that's the backdrop. The backdrop. All these forces are coming into play. There's still an ongoing extermination attempt. We still don't actually understand what the aliens are doing. Are we going to get there in, in this book? Like it, th This is the conclusion, right? 
this is it. Yeah, it's not, not only the conclusion of the S arc, but uh, this concludes my vision for Combat Frame Xseed altogether. Um, I had material outlined for six books of starting almost 20 years ago. And uh, this exhausts my material. So if there is going to be any more adventure in this universe, um, I will have to start over and begin uh, brainstorming and outlining from scratch. Although I am way faster than now, I will say. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to put a pin in that because we had a question earlier about your, your future plans, but uh, let's focus on this one. So it, so are we going to get some of the answers or, or are there questions, which questions, sorry, that's not fair. I got to read the book, but there are questions that are going to be answered. Is that right? Are we going to get some of the answers we've been looking for? Yes. But as you said, um, I, I don't just, I, I don't believe in just hand feeding my readers, right? I respect their ability to interpret the text and um, to, to find the answers they're looking for. So you've read the Soul Saga, right? The, the Soul mm -hmm. Cycle. Okay. I gave all the answers there. And there are actually a lot more of them in, in that series because it's more metaphysical concepts. So the answers will be there in Z-Strike X Seed. I'm going to type loose ends. The one you mentioned, yes, because of the main plot twist that happened in the climax of double S. I think you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. That will give like, that is our Avenue to finally get into the zoo psychology because we now have someone who can actually just tell humanity, Hey, look, this is what they want. Right. So yeah, Which, that, that'd be awesome. nice. Yeah. Uh, because the, the uh, well, I mean, it works great as a horror trope, like if you're watching Alien or Aliens, right? Like, who cares? They're just monsters. But you've made it pretty clear that these are, uh, you know, these are human-like sentient beings. We just don't know exactly what they're like and what they want, right? It'd be really unsatisfying yeah. if they just stayed monsters. Yeah, and I mean, you, you can see where I'm going with that, right? I'm not going to leave it like that. Mm -hmm. with the heel turn from the previous book. And also being in my playtest campaign, like, you know, the answer Like we went over it in game. <laughs> <laughs> so you're playing, you're playing Koi, but he knows folks. He, he knows that there, there is an answer to this, which is probably why he asked. So, so I'm going to share it with the rest of you. Although my game play testers do often get uh they, they get the skinny on the, the secrets uh around the deep lore so that is a good reason to back that level when that comes out also it's a ton of fun i just put yeah. my own horn here that's everybody said yeah there you see yeah yep yep all right well let's let's talk about these uh these these perks like you are generous, as far as I can tell. You are generous, like it, for for people who jump in and sort of, hey, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna play test this RPG. I wanna play test a, you know, a card game, or I wanna. Uh, used to used to call for beta readers. You haven't done that, but basically, when you buy in, to. 
the uh, your campaign, like you you deliver, like you give a lot of information. You can uh, just talking about like what happens in the background. You know, you you just get that. That said, what kind of good stuff are we doing this time around for your your final huzzah? as far as uh, perks and, and benefits and everything. Well, we've got fan favorites like the aforementioned Buildamac, of which there is one slot left, folks. One slot left. And if one you're not slot familiar, left. Yeah, if you're not familiar with that. Well, Dornal, why don't you, as a satisfied BAM-level backer, describe the Buildamac concept and process? <laughs> It's it. Thank you. It's one of my favorite things uh, uh, about this whole enterprise, and it's the process. The build a mech perk is uh, your ability to put your personal stamp, your personal style into this world, and the way it comes about is really exciting because uh, basically uh, even if you have no idea at all you get on the horn with Brian you, you know phone call uh, discord whatever and you determine what sort of giant fighting mech you want to build or design and uh, it's a collaborative experience that not in the sense of, you know, here's your guide rails, right? Because Brian's very open to the sorts of things that you want. He's just going to make sure that it fits into the story. So you take as little or as little or as much time as you want to figure out what you want. Um, and that includes going over like, okay, what does this mech do? Who pilots it? Who, who you know, what sorts of weapons and defenses does it have? Uh, you know, what does it look like? That sort of thing. And after you've hit upon these ideas, you go to the artist, Ardenon, hanging out in the chat. And you work with an artist, the three of you work together, and eventually Brian just steps back and says, okay, guys, have fun. Uh, and then you work with the artist to come up with the design. And for if you're watching on YouTube, I'm going to try to show some of those examples of those artwork in the uh in the campaign here we've got some examples here the phantom this was actually my uh build a mech from the previous campaign and it's a great process you come in uh well i i want to talk about this one in depth because i actually did not have a strong idea on what i wanted to do um and i spoke to brian about it and I said, okay, Brian, help me, help me help you. Like, what sorts of mechs can we design? Like, what's going to help you? And, and through the back and forth conversation, I decided on the type of mech I wanted to build. And then when I got to the, to the artist, we nailed down the look and feel that you have here, sort of like alien samurai style armor. Uh, I love the cool cloak too. That was Ardenon's idea. Uh, you actually get to work on that together back and forth with the artist. And in the end, you've created something sort of interesting and unique and 
I won't lie, there's a no small amount of pride in it. And the process is satisfying, but then the end result is, let's just say, when you design a mech with Brian and talk about the sorts of roles it might play in a conflict or a narrative or something like that, Brian will do his best to not only in, use those ideas in the narrative, you, you, will, you will see and read familiar settings or themes or ideas or something like that uh, in the book. He will also make sure that it plays a role in the story that no other mech could. That's the key. It's it's not just it's not just oh cool, there's the mech I designed, you know, waving at the camera in the background, right? It it, it becomes it's either used by an important character or used in a situation where it does something to move the story forward that no other uh, combat frame could. And Fandom's so, a great example because Tornall designed Heather's mech. So yeah, you got to design the combat frame for the pseudo title character of the final book, but you didn't know it was going to be at the time. But again, I, I give with both hands, you see. And uh, I also vetoed her insistence that uh, it looks great, but needs more glitter and stickers. Like she thought it needed some like gold spray painted macaroni or like racing stripes. But I left it the way you wanted. Yeah, yeah. We just uh, we just uh, f fully form and, and functional. Heather did not get much say on that one. Yeah, she'll take what she's given and like it. <laughs> so. uh, and, and that's and that's a great point, right? Um, uh, it, and Brian isn't afraid to do that with you to like give you a really important role. Like like I said a second ago, your your guy's not just going to be a cameo in the background. Here's another new one. This this art's cut off on my screen, but um, yeah, speaking Brian, of being cameos, uh, really really quickly, you can also be in a book. You can just make yourself a character. You can make a self-insert. A lot of people do that. And uh, then if you really want to take it all the way to 11, you can be killed in a book, which gives you the ability to not only be a character in Exceed, but I will kill you. I <laughs> will kill you. <laughs> so you know why that one often sells out. <laughs> uh, so so I, I think I asked this before, but do people buy that to to have themselves killed? Or do they put in like a a buddy or a girlfriend or a uh, an enemy to be killed for laughs. Both. It's a murderous rainbow with every color of the spectrum in it. It's beautiful, really. It's cool. I I experienced the uh, bee in the book perk, and that was a surprise to me. Even after doing the Build-A-Mech, I was surprised at the bee in a book because um, uh, the, my friend who paid for the perk thought she was just going to give a name and just be like, yeah, I'm going to name this character. And then when we got sat down on the phone call, uh, she was completely 
taken aback by Brian's, you know, the back and forth. You did the same thing that you did with the build a mech with the character. Like, no, I'm not just going to put your name and face on this character. Like, tell me about this character. Like, what sort of role do you want to have in the story? Or flip it around. Here are different roles I am, you know, I need for this story. You know, do any of those fit? Right. Yeah, one of my favorite examples of that uh, comes from CL, who's in chat, Catholic Lancer, big shout out, and Ben Wheeler. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he's here today, but uh, good friend of the show and, and of mine. And the two of them came up with this like convergent evolution. And yeah, I think it was uh, it was for the previous two books. Ben came up with a build a mech based on a, a Valkyrie, right? Not the, the Macross kind, but the, the, the Norse legend kind. Mm-hmm. And quite separately, CL said, I, I want to uh, do a custom character named Avril Valkyrie, who's like a, a J-pop idol, who uses <laughs> a mech in her show. So I'm like, oh, well, this is easy. <laughs> so I just... Gave one backer's BAM to the other backer's custom character. And I don't know, I'd, I'd ask CL, but I think they meshed perfectly. <laughs> just right on right on brand. So I'm like, wow, I've got two different people separately being like the, the branding and marketing team for this fictional character. <laughs> and it worked. So that's kind of I love it. Yeah. And and it's and this goes back and I, I'm gonna tie everything together that we've been talking about for like the last few months. This also goes back to um the organic growth of a tabletop game. Right? They you get you you have su- such great results out of uh, you know, you're outlining in your writing process, but these organic moments that come about when you start collaborating with the readers uh, just makes it that much more uh, interesting and exciting. Like you, it, it makes the, it makes the book better while at the same time making you know, getting collaboration and making it entertaining for uh, the people who back the book. I, it's just cool. And it's more so than, um, here's an example from board gaming. Uh, the board game Viticulture is a game about, uh, what's it called? Uh, making wine. And all the backers got to, on Kickstarter, got to submit photos of themselves and they got put on cards. You know, oh, all the all the different visitors to the uh, all the different visitors to the winery and and all the people working there and everything they all got to be on cards like this isn't just you waving from the background or having your art in a card which is really nice like it's it's better if I'd known about that I totally would have submitted uh like this is Sam Hyde and Nick Rochford <laughs> <laughs> is that one uh, vineyard skit they did <laughs> that would have been good. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, sorry for the digression. I just didn't want to get too enmeshed in uh, just, just talking about my thing. 
But, uh, so anyway, I I know I'm I know I'm gushing, but the 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 perks are a lot of fun. You definitely deliver. Um, build a mech is on a timetable. Uh, if if nobody's claimed it by the end of this weekend, I probably will, and you'll yeah. have to suffer through. I mean, not to toot my own horn, but at least two of my build mechs are already in this story. And so, that one, by the way, is also a, another of CLs that I found there. Oh yeah, this. Uh, yep, I remember that one. My favorite of your of yours is still the dome. Is it? You were you were so enthused, and you had it all figured out. Oh, that was another thing. Yeah, Lee, Lee, uh, you mentioned the uh, extra solar colonies when you're mm-hmm. talking about the description. There's, here's another example of how the process uh, works yeah, so scroll well. Up. Uh, scroll up to the uh, CF Tech Guide, and you, you can see it. Oh, yeah. Let's show the folks. And it gives me a great chance to talk about our first stretch goal. But uh, proceed, please. Yeah, because I th- this, was, uh, this was a case where I had a general idea of there it is the type of the type of combat frame i wanted to make wasn't much of a combat frame more of a mobile hovering artillery piece and because the previous book featured a lot of extrasolar colonies i thought well okay here's Here's the uh, here's my concept for sort of an extrasolar um, planet defense mech. And long story short, we went back and forth, and Brian was able to take my idea, refine it, and totally run with it. We together on the phone. I think it was a long conversation. I think it was like two or three hours. Like we just built. We did all the world building. We built a whole colony from like concept to uh, execution and yeah. And, and there's the Ardenon's product at the end where he put his own, oh. he put his own uh, style and touches to it. He's phenomenal. He does all of these concept images, by the way, folks. So he's, he is the expert who's going to draw your BAM. Uh, absolutely. Uh, which is funny, and, and you were really kind to me because my initial concept for the dome was a mech that you had already designed, and it was in a short story. I hadn't read that short story, but uh, mm. you you didn't just shut me down and say, "Yeah, we have that one already." <laughs> Variants, Variants are great. Uh, it's 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 cool stuff. Um, so this is your this is the stretch goal that we're looking at the cover for. Uh, we. What are we reaching for, and what does it do? Okay, well, this is the sequel to our hit Illustrated Combat Frame tech guide. And it, it may have been Ardenon who uh, gave me the impetus for the first one. And he said, hey, it would be cool to do an art book, right? Mm. Ooh, yeah, like a, like a coffee table, like a companion guide. And then... I looked over at my bookshelf and saw, oh, I've got the old Star Wars essential guides over here. Uh, Gen Y kids will definitely remember, but um, I think it was Delray Books. Yeah, they're the main Star Wars publisher. Put out these uh, like 8x12 
trade paperbacks that would would just uh, be like, here's everything you need to know about this area of Star Wars lore. And they have the essential guide to vehicles and vessels, which were like in the style of a Jane's Defense Weekly, which uh, publishes like the, the specs on all like the, the military aircraft that comes out. Mm-hmm. And um, so inspired by that, and um, also mahq.net, which Gundam oldheads will know, did the same thing with Mecha Anime series. Like, even to the point that Gundam official now, like the official Gundam website, just totally cribbed their style. <laughs> Although not as good, I don't think. Uh, so I've been doing a series of blog posts since the beginning on, okay, here are the real world stats. On all the combat frames, folks. And oh, Bradford Walker is pointing out the essential guides are not collected into massive coffee table books. All right, that's awesome. Love these things. But anyway, so I just put these ideas together, I just synthesized them, and we did one book, which again was hugely popular. Uh, and it's just everything you wanted to know about the combat frames from the, the original. Exceed series, but we're afraid to ask. And a lot of people said, yeah, you know, I love sitting down with like my phone or tablet or Kindle in one hand and I got the illustrated tech guide open in the other and I love reading the mech battles and then looking like, ooh, Van Teef has this many kilograms of thrust on its thrusters, but Dead Drop's generator has this many megawatts of output and uh, it's, it's like having the program for the boxing match, right? Only they're giant robots <laughs> and they explode. So the first one covered the first series. This one is going to cover the S arc and it will be funded in full gorgeous color. Uh, me and AA are still playing around with um, the background color. We're trying to pick one we, we like as if we're, uh, we're sampling wallpaper or something, but uh, that will be made real when we hit $4,000, which we are, Rapidly sneaking up on. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I have a question about other stats. Because we talked about the role-playing game perk. Are you planning on uh, doing another playtest session after this uh, book? Oh, we got to test the dome, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, there's your answer. Looking forward to that. Um, and any chance that we could get a similar illustrated combat frame tech guy? Now, the tech guy is super exciting, and I, I appreciate what you're doing there. But what about just uh, PDFs of uh, role-playing game stat sheets for all of these uh, famous mechs? Oh, yeah. I mean, I I have all their stats. <laughs> like, uh, the the uh, the tech guide actually came about for me sitting down with the paper sheets for a lot of these CFs and going online doing the math to convert those figures into real world measures as much as possible. So yeah, I can totally see that. And that's the other cool thing about the uh, actual military conflicts in your game. Uh, is it true that you use that game to actually model and game out the fights in your book? 
Oh, you know it's true because you participated in it. <laughs> yep. The one so, reason that the, the battles feel so real and gritty in the books is in a way they are real. They, they're, they're at least uh, transcripts of war games. Which is not as, as you know, painful or as uh, the kids would say, cringy as, you know, you're not just writing a book about your D and D game, are you? It's it, you're you're oh. actually you're just using the the rules to model what might happen in a in a game or in a in yeah. a in the story. Right, I'm using it for like like you said, uh, you, you said it all really when you talked about the the BAM process as world building. Yeah. Exactly. There you go. I mean, you, you already said it all. Well, all right. Well, I'll just I'll just do the I'll do the whole I'll talk of the whole thing for you. I okay. yes, I'm very I'm very biased. Full disclosure, I had, I've been a backer, uh, big fan of your work and everything like that. Um, I know. Printamex are coming, by the way. Printamex. Oh, okay. Tell me about this. Yes, this was our last stretch goal for the double S campaign because Ardenon had turned me on to, hey, I got this guy and he'll design custom mesh files for 3D printing. So why don't we make some combat frame minis and then offer like the STL files to backers as a perk? And I said, how about, yeah, because uh -huh. I, I didn't even realize, I don't know from 3D printing, I didn't even know that was possible. So I looked into it. Um, we have now retained the services of an excellent independent contractor. AA is like, he's already completed the first set of all angle reference images for our first winning combat frame, because I held a, a breeder poll on my blog and social media to determine which three combat frames from the original series would be printed. And the Grinsmark one, the Thimblehead, was the first winner. So AA has fully rendered that. For the mesh artist uses a reference, I'm gonna kick that up to him probably today. Uh, then we're also doing the Grinsmark two, which I know folks in the chat love, and then the, the Grinsmark three. So uh, it's Grinsy's a poppin'. And yeah, once I, I get this guy reference images for all three CFs and uh, he gets me the mesh and STL files. We are offering you, the backers, the chance to print your own 28 millimeter combat frame minis for use in the combat frame XSEED role playing game, or just as uh, as conversation starters, as little knickknacks <laughs> for your shelf. I love it. And heck, you could print out a whole army. It's you're limited only by the the raw materials and. Uh, and your time. So that's coming up. Uh, I love it. I'm actually not a war game miniatures guy. Uh, that's that sort of never appealed to me. But uh, I I'm excited about where it could go because, uh, well, we might have mentioned this earlier, but I've designed a handful of mechs for this game and i would like to have a figure of those hmm. 
Well, so CL I, had what I thought was an awesome idea along the lines you're talking about. He pointed out that, hey, mesh files are scalable. So you could take, say, just a uh, Grenzmark II head and scale it up to be the same scale as a Gunpla. And uh, he, he wants to do a Zeta Gren2, which <laughs> I approve. Just put a Grenzmark II grilled dome on top of the Zeta Gundam. So that's it. I have to ask. Well, I've got I've got all sorts of fun questions to go along with that. Um, anything else you want to say about this campaign? And any do you have any more goodies to tell us about coming up? Well, I don't want to spoil it, but uh, we're putting out new perks all the time. Um, at least one every couple of days, sometimes more than that. So if you scroll down, we do have the. Original CF Tech Guide, signed by me. That's a recent one we offered. Um, if you're more business-minded, like, let's say you're an indie author trying to get a foothold in the industry, or you're an old-time radio reenactor or a comic artist, but you've got a project you want to get noticed, you can buy a full-page ad for the reasonable price of $100. Shop, shop around. You can get your project seen by... Everyone who reads Z-Strike Exceed forever. Oh, along those lines, if you are an author, um, every author is only as good as in his editor. Just uh, ask F. Scott Fitzgerald. I'm offering my pro editing services because I am a professional editor. That's, uh, that's my second hat I wear. I don't just edit myself. I edit lots of authors actually some of them bestsellers um, because of NDAs. I can't talk too much more about that, but um, yes, I'm an editor. My job is to take three star manuscripts and turn them into five star books. I can do that for you. And I'm offering development editing services. So those burning questions that authors have like, Oh, like, well, how do I design my magic system? How do I do my world building? How do I make people care about these characters? How do I weave these plot threads together? That's dev editing, right? I am offering that at a deep discount on my normal services, which can only be obtained at the dis that discount through this campaign. So we have three pro editing spots open. I had to reduce the number available because I was just getting too swamped lately, had to cut down on the workload, but there are just three available Get in the door now. There's a generous one-year deadline, so you got plenty of time to finish your book and get it to me. And if you don't feel like writing it, but like uh, you know, you know the old cliche about uh, the guy who approaches an author and is like, "I got this great idea for a story. I'll tell it to you, and you write it, and then we split it 50-50, right?" Yeah. Well, I will actually let you do the first part of that. Um, you can come to me with your short story idea, and I will write it for you. You will you can commission a short story from a number one best-selling Dragon Award-winning author, and I will realize your idea. Now, because the whole reason that uh, initial scenario is a a punchline among authors is that uh, like no, the, the one who does the work actually owns it. So I will retain all rights to the story, but. 
I'll collab with you and agree on exactly what form we want to release it in. Like, if you want it up on my Amazon author page for sale, we can do that. If you just want to keep it to give to friends and family, you put it in a shoebox in your closet. That's up to you. But I will realize your story. And that's at the uh, the platinum backer tier, only offering one of those. That's cool. I, and we haven't talked about this one much. Has anybody taken you up on the offer so far? The the short story commission? Yeah. Not yet, but this is your last chance. So I theorize that uh, there were some big money backers who have been waiting since I first introduced that uh, to see if I can close the deal on this series. And here we go, folks. It's book three. It's the last one. This will be the third sci-fi fantasy series I have finished. So that's three more than Patrick Rothfuss or George R. R. Martin, by the way. So <laughs> I, I think uh, Martin actually has finished other series, but uh, three more than Rothfuss. I know what I'm doing. I, I can, uh, I, I can uh, stick the landing on these series. So I, get, I can do that for your story. You, you should have used Scott. What's his name for the uh, lies of Locke Lamora. Oh, Lynch isn't done either. No. He, he's he's still on book three. That book three came oh. out in 2013. Bradford, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> but here's the fun part with that. Okay. Um, he's still got four books left to write in that series. Supposedly number four is coming out real soon, like this year or next year. And then he just announced that he has plans for – now, he hasn't written a book in the series for nine years. Number four is coming out. He's got three more past that, and he's got plans, and I am not making this up, for a sequel series of seven more books. My word. Okay. Uh, yeah, you better get started. <laughs> Now, apparently he has written other books on for other things. It's not like he hasn't been writing books, but uh, and some of them actually kind of sound interesting. So I haven't read them, but they kind of sound interesting. But still, man, I'm just thinking if you do a nine year gap between all 10 books left in that series, man. Well, it's a good thing that he's been writing other stuff because. And what you once you fall out of that writing habit, once you let the discipline atrophy, it is really hard to get back on the horse. So, good luck to him. I mean, meanwhile, we have Brandon Sanderson just turning out a book a minute and uh, breaking all-time crowdfunding records with uh, with his four secret novels. So that went real big. What's going on with him? Last I heard, uh, yeah, he had raised tens of millions of dollars, like over 30 million for four books. And then he and his team went and backed every single publishing project on Kickstarter. And if any of them were close to funding, uh, they would push it over the top. Wow. 
Does yeah, he know about your work yet? He he does. Um, I have met him. Whether he cares about it or not, I don't know. <laughs> but, and I'm on a different platform. But uh, kind of missed the story or missed the boat on that. But that, that's okay because I I don't need <laughs> I don't need his help. I can do it on my own. I can do it with <laughs> you guys. We can do this. Oh, absolutely. See? Yeah, you and me. We we got this. Don't need Sanderson. So without him. So no, I'm, I'm tickled pink about that. Anyway, go ahead. Um, I predicted Sanderson would end up at 45 million based on how well he did in the first like 24, 48 hours. Mm-hmm. He actually ended up on basically 42 million. So okay. I was pretty darn close. You won the showcase showdown without going over. So yeah, that's a win. Good job. All right. Well, I, I'm, I can't believe how excited I am uh, for this. Uh, time's almost up on that Build-A-Mech goal. Um, let's, uh, let's shift gears for a sec. Well, sure. first of all, De- Daddy Warpig, anything you want to know? Um, I just gotta say this. I'm sorry to say this. Uh, we're coming up on an hour and a half. Is that so? <laughs> yeah. Was well, that my stomach's rumbling? Because I uh, I haven't eaten yet. All right. Well then, well then, let let's wrap up. I, we did have one audience question. I want to make sure to get to, uh, real mm-hmm. quick. Uh, Brian, uh, Rawl asks way back when, what's next? Oh, this kind of gets into that NDA territory. Um, but starting next month, I'm slated to begin a collaboration with one of those number one bestselling authors I alluded to. And we are looking at collaborating on a sci-fi series and it all depends on whether this other author can launch his brand to the level that uh, like his team has foreseen. And it's, it's looking good. It's looking like he's going to be able to pull it off. Like he's really rising meteorically. And he approached me. And pretty much said, okay, well, look, you're, you're the fiction guy. Like, you're the one who makes my books as good as they are. I want to bring you with me on this. I really can't do this without you. And so let, let's collab. And this will let me have an outlet for the fiction I really want to do. But I will also, like, give you a, a hand up. Like, I will pull you up into the, the fleeing chopper. Like the rising, uh, the rising chopper, chopper of my platform, and what that would do is give me the exposure that his far larger and growing and about to explode platform can can give. So this could not only 
jump my work up like to the next level, but several levels. Like we're talking, looking at getting these books into airport kiosks level. Awesome. Yeah. So I can't say too much more, but uh, that's my next immediate fiction project. And who knows, right? Like finishing um, this lengthy gosh, like um, Xseed's been going for five years now. It gives me freedom to open things up. So uh, another thing I've got on the back burner is the long promised and anticipated Soul Cycle prequel series. I've got four books outlined from before and ethereal that tell the story of how Zadox Cosmos got to that point. So I can always do that. Um, yeah, the, the, the future's wide open and the sky's the limit. And I thank you guys, the, the chat in general, and you and Daddy Warpig in particular for helping get us there. Well said. I think that's a great place to leave off. Unless there's any uh, any other thing you want to say about the campaign before we go. Yes, I do. So if you folks like the lore and Millicent action of Halo and the mind-bending intrigue of Neon Genesis of Amgelion, then Z-Strike X-Seed is for you. Choose from awesome perks. Get the book before the general public. And remember, every perk tier comes with S and double S today. Like, I, I send those out uh, once a day. I go through, look at my list of backers. So you'll begin getting rewards immediately. And then you'll get Z-Strike X-Seed, the conclusion to the hit Combat Frame X-Seed series, as soon as it's ready, before the official Amazon launch. So get in there, support new pub science fiction, back that project. What are you waiting for? Get in there. And just in case you were worried about that description, he's talking about the real Halo, not the skin suit Halo. Yeah, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, there's only there are only two Halo games. Um, so yeah. Really? Which two? Halo and Halo 2. You didn't like Halo 3? Didn't play it. Oh, okay. Like, I, I'd stopped buying consoles by that point, so... That's me. Like, the PS2 I have here and that I do my Final Fantasy stream on this channel on is my most up-to-date console. <laughs> I, I got my rut, and I'm comfy here. So... I know a lot of people hate on Halo 3 because it's so popular, they feel like you know, it's like the expected thing, and you can't like the popular thing because it's expected. But Halo 3 really is a just a darn good game. I got nothing against it. I just haven't played it, so I can't uh, speak well, your yeah. experience. Yeah. And you don't want to. You don't want to go buy. You know, uh, an entirely new console that's almost impossible to get anyway, just to play Halo three or by the master chief collection i'm not suggesting that i just uh i really liked halo three so noted for the record 
Well, uh, it's definitely good to have you back on. I'm excited for this uh, conclusion. I can't wait to hear uh, what else is happening later. We'll probably see you again in the near future, Brian. Uh, thanks okay. for coming on. Um, uh, you got a lot of fans in chat. We love the chat. Thanks for coming out and hanging out with us live. Uh, I hope everybody listening later gets a chance to check out Combat Frame Exceed, whether the uh, um, whether the campaign's done or not. I hope you guys check it out. Um, I'm done for this week. Uh, until next time, everybody, have a good one. Daddy Warpig, it's all you. Um, golly, it's been such an exciting day. I really, seriously, congratulations, Brian, for your success, not just with this Kickstarter already funding, um, but your success with all the other uh, XC books uh, in the six-book series. Um, it's uh, it's amazing to see uh, someone uh, who I read first through the Sci-Fi Journal, and then I actually met through uh, uh, a completely different person. Um, and then you know we invited on the show um, to become uh, a co-host. Um, Seeing such, you know, great success. I'm excited to hear about your collaboration and I'm looking forward to that. Um, and uh, wish you so much luck uh, uh, going forward. Um, not that I doubt your skill uh, or your talent, but uh, everybody needs uh, everybody needs some luck too. Uh, or could use it. Um, and I think it's amazing uh, what you've accomplished through long, hard work, uh, developing your talents and growing your audience base. And uh, I think it's uh, anyone who looks at the path your career has taken uh, could learn a lot of lessons on how to grow their audience and how to uh, grow their material and how to keep at it and keep uh, doing things well and uh, work from strength to strength and uh, keep on hustling until, uh, until things break for them. As I say on Twitter a whole lot, you gotta respect the hustle uh, because the hustle is is everything when you're working in a field as crowded as writing and people point this out. I saw it easily three or four times yesterday that the field in writing is so crowded right now. Uh, Alex Kersova um, or Alex of Kersova magazine said that he gets people telling him, you know, they'll will, they will just give him their stories for free. They didn't even want to get paid for them. And his problem is he can't afford to publish even stories he gets for free. There are so many stories out there. And so in a field as crowded as, as writing with publishing being so cheap in ebook form to do, um, being able to produce a quality project puts you head and shoulders above uh, of other people.
and being able to do it consistently and being able to do it flexibly to collaborate with your audience uh, is an amazing talent that is no uh, doubt greatly aided your rise and being able to continue hustling and doing other things in the meantime uh, is just great and admirable. And uh, I wish to compliment you on all those things and to uh, congratulate you on the opportunities that have opened up for you uh, because you absolutely deserve them. Uh, encourage everyone to, uh, to go to the uh, Kickstarter, uh, check out his books. There's a, a donation tier for all the ebooks if you haven't uh, read any of them before, or all the paperbacks if you want to get, you know, undead tree copies of them. I likewise want to thank everyone who came and uh, listened live, participated in the chat. This is Geek Gab. We're here uh, on Saturdays. 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. Uh, you can come and uh, join us live. Uh, also participating in our great and engaging chat with our unusually intelligent and uh, amazingly awesome uh, audience. Or you can listen later on youtube.com slash geekgab. That's youtube.com slash geekgab. We're available on the Apple iTunes store. We're available on Google Play Store and we're available on SoundCloud.com. So you can listen to us on the device of your choice or on the web or just download it to your computer. And before you sign off, I did want to thank you for that lovely testimonial vote of confidence. You guys give you my start. Um, it, it means a lot that you enjoy and approve my work because at the end of the day, I don't just do this for myself. I do this as a vocation from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I do it for thy science fiction and fantasy and pulp readership that's been so poorly served by old pub these years. We're taking it back. New patronage isn't coming. New patronage is here we're gonna stay winning all right folks we are signing out for today don't you worry don't you fret we will be back